people are buying product where there's a gap, where there's a pain. They're not for the nice to have. They're not typically going to waste time looking at a product that they don't really need or see any interest in. Mm. Um, so when we onboard a customer, we're like, okay, what are the pain points you are solving? And we go into deep, like into depth on that. And then I ask them, what are the solutions for those pain points? But don't give me your features and benefit dumb because people don't care about that. Give me your, like, actually what you do to solve these problems. Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin, Managing Partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, this podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups. We'll uncover the stories behind the struggles, the ups, the downs, guided from the view of an entrepreneur. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. All right. My guest today is Ben Bag, the co-founder of Nectar Group. For those of you who may not know, Nectar Group is focused on enabling companies looking to expand across APOC through a sales and marketing driven revenue generator. Thanks very much for being here, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to uh, uh, having the table switched. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I was on Ben's podcast not too long ago, so this is uh, the the reciprocation of podcast guesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so cool. The the way that I always start this off is, you know, getting back to the origin story of how you became an entrepreneur and how you launched Nectar Group. So take me back to the the those early days. If I go all the way back to when I was first starting being an entrepreneur, it was probably when I was like 13 years old, um, taking my school money, walking into the supermarket and buying a bunch of donuts and then kind of doubling my school money before reception by selling them to the kids, you know. Um, and, I, and it evolved into cigarettes, <laughs> um, but no, not further than that. Um, so, yeah, I've always kind of had that, that spirit of kind of just – uh hustling a little bit really and and just playing around with things and um years later i started an esports event company um sadly that didn't uh, go so well but um sort of convinced my previous employers to give me fifty thousand pounds to try an idea which was quite exciting um and then since being out in asia and um kind of working in a startup environment in a tech company i i got to understand a lot more about sort of how to penetrate new markets, especially across Southeast Asia, there's a lot of diversity. And I actually turned out to be very, very good at that. Um, and as that business continued to evolve, uh, we were hit by COVID. And a lot of the excitement I had from that role in sort of traveling around the world and meeting people um, kind of stopped. And so, from going from being an employer to who gets to travel all the time and is super excited meeting new people to being sat in my bedroom trying to <laughs> write emails and do lead generation on my you know for my employer, I got pretty darn bored. And then I had some friends of mine who 
you know, had, had their own companies and they were they were actually struggling. Um, you know, they were doing networking and going to events before, and now they were like, how do I how do I generate leads? Um, and so I just started helping them with some some personalized emails to certain accounts and, and doing activity on their behalf. Um, and I did pretty pretty good at it. And I didn't need to ramp up and onboard and, and train. I just understood how to get people's attention. Um, and because that went so well and my friends were getting customers, they told their friends and they told their friends. And um, before you knew it, I was employing people. Um, and about six, seven months of kind of doing that on the side, sort of in the evenings, um, it kind of got out of hand. And I had to meet my CEO uh, at the time at, at Talkbush and be like, hey, man, uh, I'm quitting. <laughs> mm. um, and it was actually right after I bought a house. So I was like, I just took on the biggest debt of my life and was quitting my job. And taking the biggest um, risk of your life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what? Uh, I was, I, you know, I had a supportive partner and uh, I was ready to go. And I, I built what at the time was a company called B Corp. Um, and B Corp just continued to evolve. Um, and we went from sort of doing more email marketing to a full sort of lead generation and, um, yeah, it just, it kind of didn't stop growing. Okay. Okay. So it really grew out of that pandemic, you know, just kind of the side hustle activity. And then at one point when you were too busy to be able to keep it as a side hustle, it just basically took over your life. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And I think um, the first few months of actually it being a side hustle, I was already thinking, okay, what, what do I need to do to, to grow this a bit quicker to stop being employed? Because I've got, I'm, I'm back with the itch. I'm excited. I'm getting really pumped. Um, what I loved about it was, uh, especially the early days was I'd meet, you know, other business owners and founders who are in multiple different industries and dealing mm -hmm. with different products and services and target audiences. And, um, it, it was just so interesting to learn about all of these different spaces and, um, it, it got me excited again. And I kind of lost that you know, as soon as my traveling had stopped. And I think that was one of the main reasons why I stayed employed for so long was because I got that opportunity to travel the world. And that, that kept me, kept me, uh, kept that entrepreneurial itch uh, sorted. Sure, sure. The, this, this aspect of like, I know a number of entrepreneurs end up encountering this because the aspect of doing it as a side hustle that ends up becoming the full time, it's, it's a common story, but I always wonder what's the trigger point when you actually knew. So you had it in your head, you're looking forward, what do I need to do in order to turn this in? But like, you said you just bought a house. Well, what was it about the situation at that point in time when you said, it's worth the risk, especially even though you just took on this massive debt. Mm. Well, I don't really have a clear answer to this question. I kind of just, I guess it was just a feeling, a moment. Mm. Um, I was closing deals that were getting bigger and bigger. Um, I had started to have a bigger team. I think also uh, I was starting to feel a bit guilty too because I was taking my full-time salary. And if I'm, if I'm being quite honest with myself and my former employer, if they're watching this, hi, Max. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say I was uh, giving it my all. Um, mm. And at that point, you know, it was like, let's 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 just do it. I'm already fully in. 
Yeah. Um, we're generating, we're starting to generate relatively good revenue, not enough to pay myself, but sure. enough to build a team and, and sustain and reinvest into growth. Um, if I put everything in, where will I see this going? If I stay part-time, we can grow, but it's going to be a trickle effect. And I was like, I know that I'm good at selling um, and we couldn't stop selling. So imagine if I was doing this 100% of the time, how quickly we're going to expand. Um, and I sat down with my wife and she was like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's do it. Take, let's take the plunge. Um, okay. So yeah, it was a combination of a lot of things. Okay. Okay. Very cool. And in, in in the in the beginning, it was primarily focused on lead gen, or what? What was the what was the core thing that you were were doing in the in the in the very earliest days? Yeah, all about lead gen. Mm. Um, we were kind of mostly doing email early stage, okay. um, so a lot of email writing. Um, this was primarily because COVID lockdowns. It was harder to get people's numbers and mm. um, harder to connect with decision makers over the phone. Um, we're also, most of the business was like UK accounts. Like my clients are all from the UK, okay. mostly expanding in the UK. Um, so we focused on email from a time zone perspective as well. Um, and then that started to evolve into, well, actually emails isn't enough. Um, it's, it's, there's not enough uh, control. Let's add another channel. We mm-hmm. have LinkedIn. We had another channel, we had calling. And then it turns out calling was actually the best channel. Um, and I know a lot of people, there's like a lot of arguments about what's the best channel to use for outbound sales. But I have taught like three years of data that tells me that cold calling wins every single time. So then we started to leverage more of that. And then the business started to shift in where we were focusing. It was like, okay, well, to do cold calling in the UK, and I've got my operations out here, requires me to hire certain skills, in, you know, English speaking ability, um, which is a bit harder to scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so let and and also time zones. So I was like, well, what about Asia? Will people pay the char- You know, the prices I'm charging, um, and I didn't think they would, but. I did a little bit of lead generation for myself into into Singapore and got a few customers and I found that we performed better um, in Asia and then we we took that shift um, and we went from sort of just generating leads to doing appointment setting across APAC. Okay, okay. And when you're when you're saying calling, are you talking about like Zoom calls or just getting getting like picking All up the calling. phone and dial, dialing the office number? Yeah. Yeah, cold calling, dealing with the gatekeepers, getting in front of the leads, starting a conversation, kind of minor discovery call on the cold call to really qualify, but also identify some form of pain point. Um, and then we would book a meeting for our customers to mm. to take over. Okay. Okay. When you're, when you're cold calling, I mean, there, there's, so there's a challenge when you start scaling up across a variety of businesses and you're trying to do this lead gen and sales qualification, uh, across them. How challenging is it to be able to qualify leads and create those leads on a variety of industries or when you're onboarding clients, you get some sort of like, uh information pack or some sort you work with them in order to develop that yeah so i get asked this by a lot of prospects actually what industries have you worked in and Mm. and things like that um 
these last sort of three years, I've realized that it doesn't really matter because we're dealing with people and we're doing B2B. And so people are buying product where there's a gap, where there's a pain. They're not for the nice to have. They're not typically going to waste time looking at a product that they don't really need or see any interest in. Mm. Um, so when we onboard a customer, we're like, okay, what are the pain points you are solving? And we go into deep, like into depth on that. And then I ask them, what are the solutions for those pain points? But don't give me your features and benefit dumb because people don't care about that. Give me your, like, actually what you do to solve these problems. And then from there, we create our sort of calling playbooks and email strategy and, and so forth. And so we found that pretty much any industry we can work in, some are a bit harder than others, but nearly every industry we don't have any issues with. Okay, okay. so it's 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 more of uh, the 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 secret sauce is more on trying to figure out how to be able to get past those gatekeepers, get to the decision makers, and and develop those relationships. That's so that's really the secret sauce, is it? Uh secret sauce. No, like you're always going to deal with gatekeepers, and mm. you can try a million different ways. We're all going to face the same problem. It's just. Once you're past the gatekeeper, once you've made that connection, it's having a good conversation and being conversational. Um, a lot of times people are literally asking five questions to a, a lead to qualify them based on whatever qualification standards they have in their business. And it's all about them. But really, we have to have a conversation and, and get these people to open up and be a bit, you know, a bit more comfortable mm. with talking to us. Um, and that's really the key. I I wouldn't say that there's a, a huge secret source for what we do, um, other than that all we do is this, all we do is train on this. We kind of, we, we operate our business like a football team, you know, like a, we want to be a championship winning team. And so everybody's in it together. We've got some people who are absolutely focused on researching the right kind of contacts that are the right ICP, looking at intent data, how do we get this person's attention? We've got others looking at listening to the call recordings, um, identifying more um, uh, uh, different pain points that we're, we're picking up to improve the strategy over time. It's just having a lot of people in different sort of areas of, of the activity with their focus points. So it's not just all on one salesperson who's trying to figure it all out on their own. Um, and that's kind of a big benefit for a startup working with our company is that you've got all of those resources, all of that brain power um, working on one pro uh, this problem of getting you appointments, sure. which is very hard to build internally. It's not every, you can do it, but it, it takes a long time. It's costly and, and so on. Yeah, building up your own outbound sales team is 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 quite is quite a big challenge. There's also mm. that aspect you referenced, the training side of it. It's it's also hard to hire for those roles. I know a lot of founders struggle to understand kind of the archetype of that sales head, the the, the sales team, etc. So you can kind of come in and fill in that blank to be that outsourced entity, yeah? Yeah, pretty much. And um, we try to mitigate the risk as much as possible. So we actually guarantee a level of appointments booked per mm. month. And we guarantee that it qualifies to the SQL definition of your business. 
Um, we can't guarantee you convert them unless we're actually converting them for you, which is sure. we do do as well. But that's yeah. um, we don't do that as frequently as appointment setting in lead gen. But by guaranteeing it, we can mitigate that risk for a business so they're a lot more comfortable. And also then we really got to deliver. <laughs> and we're a, result, a very results-driven business. We've built a team that's sort of, you know, a high-performance business. Um, and that's hard to build culturally um, in a lot of companies. So if you outsource to us, you know that I'm either going to get my results or I'm going to get my money back. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're trying to build that in-house and you're not, you know, excellent at sales training, you're not excellent at coaching. Um, it's going to take a lot longer. Um, yep. And you're going to go through tons of headcount. I bloody well did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> tell me, tell me about that part because you know you're you're bu- you're building a sales organization. It's very people driven. You're trying to find individuals that have the capability of being conversational as well as some level of persuasive ability and an understanding of how to be able to fit those gauge those qualifications of those SQLs and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, how how do you analyze an individual? And is it more on the training or is it more on the selection or is it, how is the combination of the two? Yeah. Wow. Um, this took a long time to figure out. And uh, I made huge amounts of mistakes along this path. Um, it, it's going to come down to all of those elements. Like you've got to recruit the right people. You've got to train them the right way. You've got to onboard them, ramp them up. Um, you've got to build your incentive programs to get people excited during that ramp up and also after they're already ramped up. Um, it, it, it took a long time to figure out. I mean, I've, I'm, I hate to say it, but I have had to let go of a lot of people um, during this period. And, um, you know, sometimes it's because I hired the wrong person for the job or sometimes it's we didn't train them well enough. Mm-hmm. and set them up to fail. Um, and it took us a long time to get there. What we've done now, um, so we've essentially got an evergreen approach to recruiting salespeople. We never stop spending to advertise these roles. Mm-hmm. And we've got a constant funnel of candidates coming in. Um, we have a, a pretty robust screening process now. Um, before, I was hiring because, shit, i got new customers and I need people. So it was like I was hiring because I was desperate rather than hiring ahead of time now we're hiring ahead of time um so within that recruitment process we've got an initial hr screen um then there's a a, a sort of first stage interview with a team leader where they do um like cold call role plays things like that um then there's a culture fit interview and also there's assessments involved as well where there's um, like psychometric assessments are they the type of person who's not going to give up on hitting Mm -hmm. the phone a thousand times and getting a thousand no's right? Um, Which happens in sales. Constantly, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's one thing we had to do so that we could try and improve our employee retention in those first three months because we were having retention of like 40% at one point. It was was super low. Um, We're about 80% now. Um, It's not foolproof. Um, The next problem is like onboarding, um, what's too much training, what's just enough training. Mm-hmm. Um, one time we did a, a ramp up of 20 people in, in one, like one um, cohort 
uh, 20 people joined the company in one go. And um, the client account wasn't starting for a month and we were just training for a month and that was wrong. We should have been having them actually picking up the phone and training at the same time on other accounts. Sure. So they're keeping, you know, they're actually getting real world experience. So now we've um, got some customers that we use for that actually, where you, you come in and you go somewhere where it's kind of safe, you can make mistakes, you can do some calls, um, going for our training program, and then you go into your ramp up period where you start working like properly on uh, customer activity, um, you're targeted and the target starts off small and grows and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's a whole wide range of activities and we still haven't perfected it, um, but we're on the right path, I think. Now. Okay. So there's a, there's a little bit, there's, there's training, there's shadowing, there's, you know, get getting the low hanging fruit sort of practice sessions in when you do actually go live. So you're not jumping into the deep end. Uh, yeah. all intended to kind of start ramping that individual up is 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 there kind of a rule of thumb from higher date to uh, the point when you would say that they're at the average they're at the mean performance that you anticipate that they're going to top out at uh yeah so we because we're performance oriented mm. every single number is tracked we believe we are fanatical prospectors like athletes we track every little number because those numbers matter so we look at it's not just the end result we're looking at okay what's your connection on the phone to a lead hmm. how how often are you getting past a gatekeeper when you're past the gatekeeper how how often, what's the conversion rate from getting a, a lead to actually start talking to you and be a low-hanging fruit and we track all these numbers and we have benchmarks for every single one of them. Um, and it's, it's a sort of traffic light system. Red, you're not doing well. Amber, you're okay, but you've got to improve and green. Good job. You're, you're on track. Um, these, these benchmarks are internally developed or do you use any sort of kind of uh, industry style benchmarks that you're getting from a third party or something? No, everything was internally developed. I tried using external benchmarks and a variety of different things, but none of them really worked for us and our culture. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, we, we built most of this in-house. Okay. Because we're looking somebody, at the numbers uh, in a, yeah. sorry, we're, we're looking at the numbers in a very different way to a typical organization because this is my product, right? So mm-hmm. I, I never, in my, in the history of my career, I never looked at the numbers so much until we started building this as a scalable product. Um, and people are the product and their performance is the product. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for repeatable processes, you need to kind of narrow it down to the fine granular detail and be able to measure it because at the end of the day, to use the athletics aspect, if you're not measuring it, you can't improve. Yeah. Uh, So you need to be able to understand how many shots on goal, what your scoring percentage is, and hopefully (laughs) to continue the metaphor, you're not getting too many red cards while you're at it. Yeah, a few here and there, but hopefully not too many. <laughs> so how how do you how do you gauge if somebody actually gets past the gatekeeper? Is it is it as simple as putting a new name into your CRM and and triggering that you've made it to the next layer? Is that is that along the lines, or is it self reported? How how do you how do you kind of kind of gauge the progression of getting up the food chain uh, mm-hmm. in an organization? So self reported, but with QC on top. So, you know, yeah, 
we trust everybody and it's going self-report and so you log i spoke to a gatekeeper or gatekeeper then connected and we have different um you know one click logging um every call every call call has um these kinds of human action from our reps um and then our qc team will uh essentially review several call you know a, a number of calls per rep constantly um throughout the month okay okay and when you when you when you look at it the the the, the this this core aspect of lead gen you know it, it migrated from uh email as you said to linkedin cold calling is is the best performer is there anything else that you guys have added into the mix uh, as a customer offering yeah so the next transition was adding on marketing services and um, this is actually how nectar group came about so at first um, there's an, there was an agency called shook agency that was mm-hmm. uh, led by a lady called shook um, different spelling of the names <laughs> okay uh, but shook agency built the bcore website which is how i first um, started working with shook and then shook and i uh, partnered on a few projects together um, where I was essentially white labeling her service um, and we were doing some creative work and occasionally to help us in our lead gen, we would need case studies created and, and content made and things like that. So we were kind of selling this on the side. Um, but there was obviously a, a good, big connection to B2B marketing and performance marketing specifically in generating leads because those become immediate low-hanging fruits for my mm-hmm. team and shook and i uh, we flirted a little bit for maybe six months on bringing our companies together because we were just so well connected in terms of our services and eventually we got around to doing that and we decided to uh, to merge our companies from b Corps and shook agency into nectar um, which is who we are today Okay. Okay. You 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 don't need to get into the specifics of of percentages, but I am curious of like how, how do you, from a logic standpoint, address the combination dynamics? Does it stay verticalized where you're on your end, you're on, I'm on my end, but let's see how we can work together under the same roof? Or mm-hmm. is there some other form of logic how you guys addressed the combination? So we did a lot of, uh, uh, we had a lot of like chats together where we talked about values, we talked about strengths and weaknesses and a very open conversation over a quiet period of time. And essentially, I'm crap at operations, right? I'm just not good at it. I'm great at sort of that external sales, marketing, growth, culture, PR. Those things I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. good at. The nitty-gritty details are not so good. And Shook is really good at those nitty-gritty details and processes and SOPs, and and all of which are massively important. Um, And previously, I was getting by. I had a business coach who kind of guided me for it. um, uh, But now I had a business partner that did. And so we, we logically decided that, okay, it makes sense for you to lead the operations of the business, and I'll lead the growth of the business. Um, which is why she's the CEO and the CEO. Um, so we look at me being the sort of visionary of the business. I come up with ideas. I work on the big deals. I take ourselves, uh, you know, expand the business globally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's the integrator. 
So she executes those ideas, essentially keep, keeps the wheels turning. So I make the money, she spends it. <laughs> <laughs> and so is she, is she, is she still running those things at the, the paid marketing. So essentially with the combined entity, you're able to do the lead gen funnel by doing paid advertising, these other forms of paid marketing, whether it's social, whatever. Uh, you're also doing the other forms of outbound uh, of developing the funnel that way as well. Is there overlap to where the inbound coming from the from the performance marketing is then flowing through you guys in order to to do the to do the qualified lead process? Or is is it staying fairly separate? Uh, so it, it varies from customer to customer, mm. but in the ideal circumstance, it's all connected. Um, some clients, it's connected; others, it's separated. Okay, it just kind of depends upon what the negotiated package and and desires of that particular case. Yeah, is. yeah, and it depends on their needs and how mm. they want to operate it. Some some teams are very good at handling inbound and converting them, and they don't need to outsource that. But they've yeah. been bad at generating leads, um, and then they've not been very good at the outbound. Okay, uh, sometimes the inbound strategy is more at a um, you know, a lower value sort of customer mm. persona, and then the outbound is focused more at that sort of enterprise level and, you know, higher value customers. So, uh, yeah, lots of lots of variation. In the ideal world, we would like to own an entire market um, for our customers where we're doing all of their key messaging, content, advertisement, SEO, everything in terms of the performance marketing side. We're doing all the handling all of that inbound traffic we're doing all of the outbound reach and then we're closing those deals for them um that that's that's what we'd like to do to connect all of our services together okay 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 and when you look at the the business overall i mean you're talking about helping enabling companies to expand across apac but are you are you seeing it more of uh entities outside of the region wanting to find inroads to get in in unfamiliar territory and are looking for partners in order to help them navigate that process or is it more so on the side of i'm in one of the apac countries but now i've got broader ambitions to start taking over more territory is it is is one more so than the other uh, it's actually more of the latter um sort of East Asia uh, is kind of a big part of where our revenue is coming from. Okay. So um, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan. And this is where it's more about language barriers and, mm. and business cultures. Um, even even Shenzhen, mainland China, um, we've got business. But we also have clients in Europe and North America who are more of that. We want to enter the market and we want to use our partners to do it before we build our offices, set up our entities and, and so mm -hmm. on. We also have some clients that are inside um, and they're just trying to accelerate faster. Um, so there's quite a lot of variety. Um, but where we do most of our sort of only generation is to East Asia um, to, to help them expand across the rest of the region. Okay. Okay. I, ha I have to assume it is as an organization that's focused on lead generation for your own purposes, you've got to have one heck of a system in place in order in order to get your own clients on board uh, and your own qualified leads in order to find these clients. Yeah. 
Yeah, we've been pretty good at it. Um, so when I first launched B Corp, I said that I don't really want to do too much outbound for myself. I want to be known as the guy you come to. So I focus my investment um, mostly on marketing, mm. uh, marketing our own brand, um, range of variety of different tacticals, like, of course, SEO and things like that. But mostly it was about content and content mm. around our people. Um, and that generated me business for two plus years without much effort. Um, we then have a guarantee that increased my, when I implemented that, increased my conversion rate from 25 to 50%. So two meetings, one customer, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it was normally like one 30 minute phone call. And then I've got a hundred thousand dollar deal size, right? It, it became very, very easy. Um, as the product got slightly more pricey and, um, you know, as we increased our prices and changed some of our processes to add things like a QC department and, and so on, um, and those increased overheads, uh, the, the conversion rate dropped to about 30% over time. Um, and that was still very healthy. So it was very easy for us. Um, but when we decided to scale, we decided to practice what we preach. So, um, I mean, now we have about five people doing just appointment setting lead generation for our own business. Mm -hmm. um, and it's enabling us to scale at a 5x rate that we plan. Mm. Um, it just, I wanted to focus on that inbound first. I found it was much easier to sell to salespeople when they came to me. Um, rather than me going to them because salespeople are even more picky when they read emails, get cold calls. <laughs> um, and, you know, we started to become known as that sort of APAC revenue yeah. generator. Um, and that came from, you know, things like my personal brand to just videos of my people in the office having fun. Like we had, mm -hmm. we did some TikTok content that went viral. Like we, we just kind of played and experimented. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I I know I know salespeople are incredibly tough. They had they have a perhaps it's a hazard of the job, but they have a very high BS radar. Uh, yeah. The moment they start getting sold to, they end up shutting down. Yeah, it's it's so true. I mean, I do it as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I I'm really glad that I went that route. Um, mm. sort of building the brand first and the sales team for my own company second. I know it's not really practicing what I preached at the time, yeah. um, but it's kind of really established us to have a really good inbound funnel. And now we've got a really good outbound funnel. So, you know, I've got multiple channels to deliver me results. I can predict my revenue very easily. Um, if I want to grow, I can turn the dials up or turn them down if I want to slow down. Got it to a point where it's it's just, yeah, turn down or up. Which way are we going this month? Right. Okay. Um, and that's okay. So if it, if it's gotten to that that point, then if you started looking forward, what's what's next for uh, Nectar Group? Yeah. So um, it's an evolving goalpost. <laughs> it's an evolving uh, flag that we're trying to reach. Mm. Um, you know, I want to build like part of my vision. Um, in life, I suppose, is to build something that lasts um, my legacy, mm -hmm. right? So kind of personal vision. I want to build something quite big. 
Um, the goal at the moment is to expand offices across the region. So opening up in Thailand, Vietnam, getting more language specific teams in those markets okay. um, and, and kind of continuing to grow in that aspect, right? Growing in uh, across the continent. Um, and then with that growth, we would grow in people. Um, you know, I envision having, you know, a thousand people working for Nexa Group um, over the next sort of five years and building a, a, a pretty large corporate entity is, is kind of um, one goal. But the group itself is doing a variety of things. Um, so under the group, we've also got um, a software development agency. Uh, we're launching some of our own software startups. Um, and we're, we're doing that because I also understand that since I created that vision, GPT came out. And I know that that's going to impact some of what we do. Um, interestingly, connection rates have improved on the phone since GPT came out because people are getting inundated with more uh, lazy emails and that kind of activity. Um, yeah. But that's that's not going to last forever. Um, I think so people are going to be able to to upskill their team much quicker um, internally. So looking at ways to you know, R&D and leverage that technology ourselves, but also not being silly and thinking that this isn't going to impact the sales industry because although people still crave that human connection, I, I actually think it will impact us in the next sort of five years or maybe sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of diversifying revenue streams. Um, we're also balancing out the books a bit. Um, we're doing more and more marketing projects and not just outbound. Um, where we're kind of generating that inbound interest, um, which can be very hard to do, getting the right kind of messaging and campaigns. It's not as easy as some people think when they go on to Google Ads Manager. Mm -hmm. Um, So balancing the book, diversifying revenue over the next five years and and growing something that lasts, that's that's the vision here really. Okay. Okay. And so, when you when you when you define success, is it really is is there some way of kind of measuring what have you actually achieved? That is it is it the threshold on size? Is it the one thousand employees? Is it the recognizable brand name? Is is there is there something you look at and say, now that I've done this, I can say that my five year goal is achieved? It's kind of silly. Um... Some people say uh, I've, I'm successful now and I don't believe them. Um, maybe that's humble bragging. I don't know. Maybe I am doing that subconsciously. Probably am. Um, but I'd love to see our logo on a, on a building. Okay. That, that would be like, boom, wow, we made it. <laughs> but really the, the full vision is we want to be known as a, I'm, I'm throwing new visions into the mix here, I just realized, mm. but the company vision is to be known as um, uh, a unicorn maker. Right? Okay. So if we actually achieve that and we take a company that's, you know, growing startup um, and we build out their revenue model and are en- enabling them to scale and then from that they're able to raise to a point where their valuation is as a unicorn, um, that will truly be what I consider success. Um, and if we ever get known as a unicorn, I think that would be amazing for everybody who works in this company. And it's kind of that championship winning team. It's like um, 
Man United, they won the triple many years ago and Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson had everybody down to the ball boy believing that they could do it. And now any single one of those people are like, I was part of the triple winning team. Do you want to employ me? And, you know, I think that would be a real beautiful thing to achieve for our people. Um, and so that that would be when we've achieved success. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. This this has been a super fascinating conversation as we've gone through the nuance of building uh, uh, building an organization, what you've done. I want to wrap up here with my final closing questions. And the first one of these is, is what is a tech tool that you just cannot live without? It's hard to put just one, but if I had to, I'd say HubSpot. Um, HubSpot is the entire operations of my business. Yeah, I would I would have imagined the CRM system would fit quite well in with you, and you're pro you're probably in it. Oh, uh, definitely in the power user range. If I had to make a guess, <laughs> yeah, I could probably uh, uh, sell myself as a HubSpot consultant at this point. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, all right. Uh, last question here is: If you were to talk to another founder that's just getting going. What would be your biggest piece of advice? Get a business coach. Get a I think that was coach. the best decision I ever made in my life. Okay. Um, don't think you know everything. And okay. remove your ego and get someone to coach you and pay them to coach you. Um, okay. I think there were times where, you know, worried and you can get a hit payroll. There are times where you don't know how to do something. Um, there are times where you just need an outside perspective. Um, someone also who's not going to judge um, you on anything, right? Um, mm -hmm. Just someone to really be your coach. Um, I think like if things are going really bad and you're telling your investor, for example, who's your advisor, yeah. depending on the investor, that might not go down so well. Sure, <laughs> um, sure, sure. There's right? a vested Basically. interest there, yeah. Yeah, so having having that sort of perspective um i don't think i'd have made it uh all this time um you know it is that my coach has got me through some very difficult uh difficult times and and has celebrated those successes with me as well and um, yeah that's my biggest advice for anybody and if it's expensive and if it's painful use that to drive you because that's exactly what i did okay. um i paid for a coach that i couldn't really afford at the time and hell, it drove me to get more sales, more business to keep it because I couldn't imagine life without it. Um, okay. Yeah. Let, let, let me let me click on that a, a little bit and just ask one follow up here. Sure. Um, how do you know who, when, who who to choose? Because there there's a there's a there's a number of folks out there that purport themselves as business coaches. There's also mm -hmm. the question of when is the timing uh, that I should go. And then, you know, how do you even go about finding that right person? Oh, that's a tough question because it kind of fell in place for me very naturally. Mm. Um, my coach was a customer first, and then I was asked to do um, some gifted coaching sessions uh, to learn the, the product more. And in that session, in those sessions, I was sold to. Um, not not actually sold to, I was coached, but that like sold me. I was like, oh my God, yeah. I can't imagine life without it. Um, I think 
someone who maybe has failed before would be really useful um, mm. and, you know, pick themselves up because you're going to fail a lot. Um, they don't have to be in your industry specifically, uh, I wouldn't say, but they've definitely got to have kind of built businesses themselves before. I wouldn't necessarily go and get someone who's a corporate guy. Um, there, how do you pick one other than that? I'm, I'm not sure. Just, I would say pick wisely, pick carefully. I think it's kind of like picking a therapist as well. Trial sessions. Hmm. Um, yeah, but definitely pick someone who's started a company, um, built businesses and, and probably has failed as well. They'll tell you what not to do. <laughs> you can <laughs> learn more from a loss than a win. And somebody that's been able to pick themselves back up and keep on going certainly has some, yeah. some stories to tell. Um, this has been super helpful. Love the advice. Definitely agree with you. Uh, ben, this has been fantastic. Thanks for, thanks for joining me here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. All right, that wraps it up for another fantastic episode of The Sea of Startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, go on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brockland from Indelible Ventures, and this is the Sea of Startups.